The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you for reminding me and thank Diana for reminding me. And uh, yeah. Okay. So we thought we'd um, just do a very brief review of what we what we talked about last time and then see if there are any brief questions to, to open today's session. So we last time I realized as I reviewed what we talked about, you could say that the basic focus of all the all the teaching and, and practice in the in the in the breakout rooms and also in the guided meditation was ethics, various aspects of ethical practice and in this particular connection with the Kalama Sutta, how ethics turn up and how they're not not presented in, in the form of commandments, but rather as a very carefully thought out um, interrogation or investigation of our, our own experience, our own direct ways of knowing the heart, knowing the mind. We used wise speech as uh, an example of um, these sort of ways of interacting with ethical ideas and leanings. And we suggested that in the homework, between sessions in the last couple of days that wise speech or other aspects of action sort of be the focus of your, your um, taking the Kalama Sutta directly into your daily, daily lives. So let's just ask if there are any questions to begin, uh, any, any burning questions of any variety that we might address about this sutta, other suttas, your practice in between these couple days, anything that came up for you and reflecting on um, the material that we delved into on Tuesday. And we're a small group at the moment. Feel free to unmute and ask a question or wave your hand about. And uh, Jerry's leaning forward. Nope, he's just... He's just waving. Okay. Hi. Um, any questions, thoughts, reflections? Just leaving ample space for that. And if not, which is fine too, I'm going to turn it over then to Ying to do the first sort of teaching today. I think, uh, Chris, unmuted yourself. Uh, do you have a question or... <laughs> It, it wasn't a question. Um, it just um, my eyes have been fatiguing recently, so I found listening to people reciting the Kalama Sutta, both in English and then also you can hear listen to it in Pali on YouTube. It's just been really great, especially in the middle of my night. I wake up, kind of tossing and turning about the world we're living in, and just listening to it and hearing it as opposed to reading it has affected other areas of my brain really. So it's it's deeply in there. What comes out, I don't know as far as learning, but I just wanted to offer that out to folks. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's a great segue into this next um, portion of the teaching, uh, which is around Brahma Viharas. A lot of a practice that's being done in some traditions are based on uh, chanting the Brahma Viharas and um, remembering and then so evoking the sense. So, uh, um, but before we um, dive into the teachings of the Brahma Viharas, which is this part of the sutta that we we kind of gradually navigated to, I just want to say a few words about how this teaching came about uh, in this sutta. 
you may notice that uh, at this point of the sutta, um, the Buddha, uh, a very skilled um, a Dharma teacher, kind of not only cleared the Kalama's mind uh, to some degree uh, by um, uh, clarifying about uh, the doubts of where they put their trust in uh, or whether it should not put their trust in. Um, but also, um, the Buddha made the Kalamas know uh, for themselves the set of the things that's um, uh, really relevant. And, um, and this is the, uh, where the Buddha uh, talked about and knowing what are uh, skillful and what are unskillful, what are wholesome and what are unwholesome, what are to be abandoned and what are to be kept. Uh, and uh, he pointed out that Kalamas know this for themselves. And this is the teachings that uh, we did the last time around ethics and uh, speech. Um, and so uh, it's quite interesting to know that um, the Buddha at this point, uh, through this way of a teaching, uh, had gained some trust uh, from the Kalamas. And then so they're now ready to listen to what the Buddha had to say next. And so at this juncture of the sutta, the Buddha actually began to shift the gear from pointing out some of the things that the Kalamas know for themselves to a set of the things that the Buddha is guiding and leading them into. And those are the things that they may not know for themselves just yet in their lived experience. But they're ready enough to listen to the Buddha, uh, to what he had to say. And so they had enough trust uh, on this next part of the teaching. And so they're ready for it. So I want to point this out because that's also part of navigating our way. And to be wise about uh, who to listen, what to listen to, what teachings we follow, what inspires us. And that is part of uh, navigating the way uh, as well. So, so you can see uh, the language of the sutta uh, began to change at this point. And so I'm using um, a translation based on Bhante Sujato's translation uh, just to give you some different flavors. So some of you are having, uh, reading uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. Um, but I just kind of read a few lines here to see how this shift had happened. So uh, this part of the sutta says, then that noble disciple is rid of desire, rid of ill will, unconfused, aware, and mindful. Then they meditate, uh, they begin the Brahma Viharas practice. And so a few things to point out. And here, the Buddha now uses a pronoun, that noble disciple. And so Buddha is saying, the noble disciples are the disciples of the Buddha who's walking this Dharma path. And so the noble disciples are doing this. This is what they do. And so let go of a desire, ill will, and cultivate mindful awareness. And then the Brahma Viharas. And so you see this shift in the teaching. And now that the Buddha is 
describing something and the person who's walking the path, this is how they're doing it. The other thing to point out is that um, mindful awareness is part of practicing Brahma Viharas. And so this line really points out that um, one is practicing mindfulness right here before this next set of instructions on um, the teachings of a Brahma Viharas. So those are the couple of things I want to point out. And now the Brahma Viharas. So just for the fun of uh, um, doing, uh, I guess, the sutta study um, part of this, I thought I want to share something uh, with you. And um, for those who uh, have multiple languages in you, <laughs> sometimes it's really fun to look at some different translations in your own language because they do evoke some different um, senses, maybe evoke different understandings of this. And so today uh, I thought I'll share something um, in the Chinese translation that seemed uh, intriguing <laughs> to me. Um, but before we go there, um, I'll just say a few words about uh, the Brahma Viharas. I think many of you know this already, probably, so I'll go uh, rather quickly uh, some of the uh, things that uh, you may, may be exposed to. Uh, Brahma Viharas, uh, Brahma uh, oftentimes gets translated as uh, divine uh, or heavenly, heavenly beings. And um, viharas are abodes or dwelling places. And so the four Brahma viharas are not necessarily the physical dwelling place, but rather uh, where our mind and heart can rest in. And so there's a beautiful quality so where our heart and mind can rest in. And the Chinese translation of Brahma viharas are really... Uh, pointing at um, those qualities, and it's called the four boundless or measureless qualities of the heart. And that's the literal translation of the Brahma Viharas. And these four qualities are metta, karuna, mudita, and upekka in uh, Pali. Um, and I think many of you would know on the English translations to this. I just say a few words about them. Uh, metta is oftentimes translated as loving kindness, benevolence, friendliness, and goodwill. And this is the quality of the mind um, that, in my mind, is is very ubiquitous. Um, independent of the situation. So for example, we're all sitting here together. And there may be in our heart uh, a quality of a metta right now. But without a reason, without a needing for a reason uh, to have this quality of a mind to be present. Now karuna, uh, oftentimes translated as compassion, um, it's often a state of a mind that gets evoked um, when we meet challenging situations. So, for example, if we bring uh, to our mind a thought of a pandemic right now in various ways, 
And maybe there is a sense of compassion arising in us. And that's um, the gentle wish to alleviate stress and painful um, conditions that uh, people may be in. And so that's the quality of a karuna. And the mudita is somewhat of the opposite side of it, uh, which is um, when we're meeting a joyful situation, um, we can be happy about it and we are delightful about it. And so I like the uh, translation that the Bhante Sujato uses, uh, which is this rejoice, this kind of double joy. <laughs> so, you know, we're here practicing Dharma together, and that's a delightful situation. And, and so maybe there's mudita uh, in your heart right now. And just, that's an uplifting uh, energy uh, in the heart. Upeka usually gets translated as uh, equanimity. Um, it's this centered uh, steadiness of the mind where we're not being pulled or pushed uh, by the force, uh, forces of a force or against or greed or aversion. And then sometimes I uh, can I associate with this quality as that sense of unshakableness and not being shaked by anything. And then um, I'll point out in Chinese translation a couple of things. Uh, many of these translations are very similar to English. Uh, but um, the character that's used to translate metta and the karuna, uh, you can see the character that's been used, um, both have heart in it. The bottom half of um, the character has this, um, uh, is this character of a heart. And it's a, it's a pic pictogram of the heart. And really pointing out uh, kind of those are the heart qualities. Um, that we're cultivating. And the most intriguing for me out of the, the translations of for this, uh, four qualities is that of uh, Upeka. So this character that's being used to translate Upeka, the literal meaning of it is to abandon, to let go, to give up. I'm just going to pause for you to reflect a moment uh, about that. Sometimes it may be harder to kind of associate with that, uh, with equanimity. But uh, in our practice, sometimes we can see when we're able to let go of greed and aversion, what is left? What is left is an equanimous mind that is not being pushed and pulled by the preferences and dislikes and, and all of the forces are kind of let go of. And so this is what this character is pointing at, which is and through letting go, through abandoning and giving up the forces that sway us. And what's remaining is the quality of equanimity. I thought, you know, I just share this. <laughs> so maybe a different translation may evoke some different senses as well. So I'm going to stop sharing now and uh, bring us back. 
So having said that, how do we practice um, Brahma Viharas? Uh, the uh, uh, the sutta uh, used a very common uh, approach that's uh, common in uh, a lot of the sutta uh, readings around the Brahma Viharas, is, which is this radiating um, uh, of our heart uh, to allow it to gradually ex- become expansive and boundless, and these qualities become boundless. And so I'll read uh, this one translation by uh, the Bhante Sujato, and uh, and let's just say a few words about that. They meditate, spreading a heart full of love to one direction and to the second and to the third and to the fourth, in the same way above, below, across, everywhere, all around, They spread a heart full of love to the whole world, abandoned, expansive, limitless, free of enmity and ill will. And this goes to the other three qualities as well. This is another place where we have this parika piece. And this is why that works for chanting as well. (laughs) And so you can set these instructions in our mind. A couple of things to say about um, this way of a practicing. One is that um, uh, clearly this is a practice that gradually unfolds, and it's a process. It's a progressive process. We don't just get done and get to this boundless, measureless kind of the first moment we practice a metta but rather we allow our mind and heart to begin to open in one direction and to the next, to the next. And in commentaries, um, there are also other ways that some of you might be familiar with to, to practice this way, is to open our heart to maybe categories of the beings that are, we are easy to associate with. And then gradually we include other categories that maybe you know, not so easy, um, but our heart began to open up to them. And then to the people we may even not like. Uh, and then we see if our heart can open to expand love to them. And so there is this a gradual a process of a training our mind. And so I would recommend that we all kind of work with this, um, uh, with the the understanding that this this mind and heart is uh, to be trained, to be open gradually. And then then the other thing I would say um, is, um, maybe the last thing I would say is about uh, the benefit of practicing um, metta, um, karuna, um, mudita, and uh, upeka. And this is through the cultivation of Brahma Viharas that there are numerous benefits to it. But I just name a couple of them. Uh, One is um, not only oftentimes this uh, practice allows us to kind of counter some of the very opposite forces of uh, our mind, um, things like fear, anger, cruelty, ill, Ill will, 
and jealousy, but also it can shift and change our character. It's almost like we can become kind. We can become compassionate. And we can become happy and joyful. We can become calm and equanimous. And so this can become a quality of our being, how we are when we meet uh, situations and people in the world, beings in the world. And so that's a, a quite profound transformation in us um, that can happen. And the other thing to say is that um, Brahma Viharas, when we practice it, it can be the basis for cultivating liberating insights. So they really have a liberating potential when we uh, allow this capacities to mature. So with that, I'll uh, pass it on to Diana. Thank you, Ying, for that uh, beautiful exposition on the Brahma Viharas. I always love seeing the Chinese characters too. So thank you for sharing that with us. So you'll notice that in the uh, Kalama Sutta, just as Ying said, that the Brahma Viharas follow after there's uh, the Buddha has been speaking with the Kalamas and uh, talking about when you know that things are unwholesome, abandon them. When you know that they're uh, blameworthy, criticized by the wise, and lead to harm and suffering, abandon them. And then, of course, if they're the opposite, not to abandon them. And then um, he, the Buddha says, so thus, uh, the noble, that noble disciple, I'm doing Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation, who is thus devoid of longing, devoid of ill will, and confused, clearly comprehending, and ever mindful. So then they do the Brahma Vihara practice so that we see kind of a progression, some ethical practices, some ethical sensitivity about what is blameworthy, what is something that the wise would criticize. And then that allows, in order to do that, of course, requires a certain amount of mindfulness. And then some heart practices, some loving kindness practices. So now we'd like to open it up for some breakout groups for you to discuss, like, what wisdom do you have? What experiences that you have that behaving ethically, having more and more sensitivity about the consequences of your behavior and, and or practicing with mindfulness, how does that help create the conditions for these heart practices, for loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. How do other practices that you might already be familiar with be a support for the heart practices? So I think um, David will put, I'm not, I think we'll be in groups of three or four. And I would like to say that um, the pers- we can look at the number of characters you have in your Zoom screen name, and whoever has the fewest number of characters goes first, and whoever has the most goes last. And when we're ready, I think uh, David will send us off into some breakout rooms where you can discuss this. Thank you.
Okay, so welcome back, everybody. So now we'll just take a few moments. We'll just hear from a few of you right now. Um, how, coming back, Diana. Oh, is that right? Yeah, this may be us now. Okay, sorry. I think that's, that's, yeah, there we go. Okay. So we would like to hear just from a few of you. Um, how was that? Did you have some new understandings, maybe some new ideas, some new insights, or um, the experience of sharing some of these ideas with others? Um, if you wanted to raise your hand, you can either raise your hand uh, physically or with what I like to say, the blue hand uh, with Zoom, by going to the participants list and uh, raising your hand or going to the three dots and raising your hand if you're on a tablet or a phone. Okay. I see some of you are smiling still. I'm looking at you, Barbara. You're smiling. That's nice. <laughs> Jerry, Katie, Glenn, you guys are smiling. So uh, even if you're not uh, at Laura, you're smiling too. Uh, Michael, would you like to uh, say something? Yeah, I I really enjoyed the breakout and I enjoy the Brahma Vaharas. And um, the one thing I didn't share is I even send metta to those I encounter when I'm riding my bike around town, when I which is my primary mode of transportation. And um, I think it's a very rich complementary practice to the sitting and awareness practice, deep bows. Yes, thank you. That's right. So this is a practice that we can do formally on a meditation cushion uh, or just informally, kind of like radiating, sending good vibes out, just like a mindfulness meditation in the same way. Thank you, Michael. So maybe I'll pass this on over to uh, Kim, who's um, going to talk to us a little bit more. Okay, very good. Thank you. So, given that we're uh, reflecting and have been talking about wise speech and the heart qualities, um, we thought it would be good to talk a little bit about criticism and how that relates to harmlessness. Um, So I'd like to just speak a little bit about this topic. This is a little bit of a kind of a nuance of wise speech. So Diana and David noted last time, last session, that uh, the Buddha has the opportunity to criticize other teachers. He's invited, in fact, you know, who should we trust? He could very easily um, speak criticism at that point, but he doesn't. He chooses to sort of redirect toward this uh, teaching that we've been talking about throughout these classes. So in this way, he... Um, in a subtle way, is modeling ethics. He's modeling not taking that bait, modeling non-aversion and wise speech. Um, But that does not mean that we would uh, never need to criticize. After all, this sutta says right in the text, these qualities are criticized by the wise. So um, it is expected that um, wise people are saying something about 
criticizing some things, praising other things. Um, to be completely uncritical and to have no opinion about anything is actually to be non-ethical. Ethics is a, a decision that we make about what is wholesome and unwholesome and uh, some ability to act skillfully and avoid acting unskillfully. Those are choices, distinctions that we're making in the mind that are wise. So um, we can't walk the path at all if we don't discriminate in some way between these different qualities. But we do need to be careful how we approach the task of making this decision or even speaking um, in favor of or in disfavor of other things. So I want to just give a concrete example of something that I um, hear fairly frequently, uh, and I've even given a name to it because it's uh, also a behavior that I used to engage in uh, and realize that it was not helpful. And um, I call it bonding through mutual outrage, which might need a little unpacking. But this is the speech pattern where um, one person will say, oh, isn't such and such just terrible? I can't believe blah, blah, blah. And the other person says, oh, I know it's terrible. And so, you know, in this way, um, we I'm hamming it up a little bit, but not maybe not too much. And, you know, you can put whatever into that slot to so the latest news item that you read about online, the person that you know, neither of you likes, etc. Politician, you know, neither of you likes. Um, and so it becomes a way where at the end of this little exchange, we have created some kind of a bond with the other person. And it's through aversion to something that we both think is not good. So is that valuable? Um, eh, I began to see that uh, in my own heart, that was not the way that I wanted to bond with my friends. And so took a little bit of redirection in my life to eventually kind of work free of that. But I, I encourage looking at this. Um, there's a lot of bonding through mutual outrage that goes on in the world. And um, we need to maybe find different ways so I thought I would offer then um, uh, how we can say no or how we can criticize and know that we are doing so out of wisdom as opposed to out of aversion. Because there are suttas where the Buddha even says, the highest person is the one who speaks dispraise of what should be dispraised in a way that is truthful and timely and beneficial, and also speaks praise of that which should be praised in a way that is truthful and timely and beneficial. So, and the person he's talking to tries to kind of sidle out of the way and say, oh, a person should never speak dispraise because equanimity is the best quality speaking of Brahma Viharas, and the Buddha says, ah, actually, it's better that you um, speak in these particular ways, that you're clear about what is to be praised and what is not to be praised, and that doesn't conflict with, um, with equanimity. So, um, so how do we know? I mean, I've, it's a very valid question then to say, well, if, if I want to criticize something that I think is blameworthy, how do I know if I'm being wise or if I'm just being angry and aversive? Um, and so I've, you know, I've checked this out a little bit in my own experience. And what I offer is that when we are turning away or refusing or criticizing um, out of wisdom, 
the mind will retain the ability to to be to feel open and so there's a sense of um, it feels open it feels clear i'm simply making a statement that is true and i can feel that at this moment it's the right time to say it um, and there's a, a sort of a smoothness to it and almost an unbrokenness to the way the attention and the mindfulness feels whereas when there's a sense of aversion the mind is um, grabbing on to something and rejecting it. There's kind of sort of this action and there's some clinging involved in that. And so the mind has to feel like it's contracting as it does that. It feels um, maybe like it's closing down and it becomes a little less clear. There's kind of a darkness about it also. So it's not that these things are going to be sort of, you know, bright and obvious immediately, but if you tune your mind toward how does my mind feel as I speak this criticism, um, you can check whether there's more wisdom or more aversion. And if it's a little mixed, which it can be, um, uh, we can sort of lean toward the, uh, the part that is the more skillful and, and really and try to come from more from that place. We can also check for the presence of the Brahmaviharas in our mind um, as we speak some kind of criticism, because the Brahmaviharas, as Ying so clearly pointed out, don't coexist with aversion. So if we truly have a heart of metta or of equanimity, sense of letting go, or of um, any of the others, we'll be able to speak that criticism from a place that's good. And of course, the result of that is much more likely that the other person will be able to hear what is actually what is being criticized. So um, I hope this gives some sense of um, what is meant by criticized by the wise and how we might be wise in our criticism, as there are things in the world right now to criticize, but uh, we don't want to sacrifice our wisdom and our um, peace and our good heart as we do so. So thank you. Um, this is what I had on this. I think next we have uh, David. Yeah, I, um, I I chatted with you there while you were speaking, Kim, and you probably didn't have a chance to see it. But I said, keep going. You know, if if you need extra time, we we you know just wanted to make sure you got it all in there because I don't think I need ten minutes to wrap up and and give a homework so called homework assignment. Um, why don't I take questions and comments and see if there are any any questions uh, that that follow Kim's. Kim's teaching, and then uh, and then proceed to wrapping up briefly and giving some so-called homework for Saturday. Any questions, thoughts, reflections that come up? So I see, and uh, Jerry posted a question. Do you like to speak to it yourself, Jerry? Um, I. I I promised myself I wouldn't be speaking today. <laughs> okay. I can read it for, uh, for everyone. Yeah, yeah I, I think we saw, everyone saw that, said, can we criticize without being critical? And I privately chatted back to Jerry, or perhaps can we be critical without criticizing? Um, but it's a good point, and I think it comes up in Kim's teaching that um, – and some something about 
what Kim said reminded me of the concept of tough love, you know, that there, there is a place for honest, direct communication. And yet the way to, I think, assure that it's, that it's not, um, um, that it's not unskillful is to check in with what hard qualities are behind it or underneath it. You know, is there wanting, is there aversion, is there concern with self happening? Is that what is, you know, provide, you know, behind this urge to speak in a certain way. And if, if those things are clear or as clear as can be made out, then speaking with a certain amount of force can be, you know, beneficial and what's needed. It doesn't mean it'll be taken that way necessarily, but our responsibility is for when, whence it, whence it emanates, where does it come from in our heart and mind? So, um, I will, I will just say this, uh, I'm, I'm not very good at this, uh, and I blame my father, actually, who was awful at it, uh, but I, I thought Kim, Kim got it and captured it, and I'm gonna try to use that. If my, if my chest feels constricted, then I'm gonna be criticizing. Uh, so to check in on the condition of the, of the heart when you have something to say is probably always a good practice, and I, I'm, I'm quite grateful that, that she brought that, that, uh, that, that, yeah, she brought that up. I don't mean to speak of her in the third, in the third person. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. I see there's another one. Um, what are some various beneficial outcomes of criticism? And when I read that, I was reminded of a passage from the Dhammapada, so I, I took a moment to pull it up. And um, here it is, if I can find it. Oops, there. Okay. Like someone pointing to treasure is the wise person who sees your faults and points them out. Associate with such a sage. Good will come of it, not bad, if you associate with one such as this. Let one such as this advise you, instruct you, and restrain you from rude behavior. Such a person is pleasing to good people, but displeasing to the bad. So one possible outcome of healthy, wise criticism is that people see something they didn't see before and are able to change their behavior or their views for the better. Um, not because they then agree with you and that's what you really wanted, but because it's better for them not to have deluded or hateful or unwise ways of thinking and being. We're helping others in that way. It's a dicey area, you know, it gets uh, tricky and intimate, but um, if a person is truly wise and able to criticize in that way, uh, it can bring about a lot of good. Nice, nice. I wonder if there are any, any remaining questions for today. We'll have more time, of course, on Saturday, too, for, for questions. Anybody else have a Anybody else have a thought question? The, the, this question, this couple questions and comments kind of exchange about these things uh, is a really perfect uh, segue uh, to, to the, the homework for, for the next couple of days, which is simply to bring, as we've been suggesting all along, and actually is kind of the heart of this approach to, you know, to the, in these courses, which is to, to combine, to integrate study and practice, and to take some of the way the Kalama Sutta seems to work, what it indicates in terms of skillful action, 
in this case, we can actually practice with in some very creative ways. So in addition to our reminder, you won't be surprised to hear at this point in the third class to reread the sutta. <laughs> you'll notice, I, I, I guarantee you, you go back this time, you will notice a different, you'll notice different threads of logical argument happening in it maybe as a result of the way we're now building it into practice and the discussion groups. And if you're sticking around for the um, guided meditation that's coming in a few minutes. Um, so the, the, the sort of the, the, ch the practice challenge, as it were, in meditation and in daily life between now and, and Saturday is to, incline, I put it in general terms first and then unpack it, it sort of incline the mind toward these four, these four wholesome qualities of metta, karuna, mudita, and um, upeka, that is toward benevolence, goodwill, compassion, uh, rejoicing, and uh, equanimity, or letting go, abandoning unskillful, unwholesome qualities. And we suggest you do it in sort of three steps, that when you read something, hear something, interact with someone, to check in with the state of the heart and the mind. That's the first thing. As, as, as uh, Jerry was just saying, check in and see what's, what's going on, what's happening here. In a way, that's always what we do in the meditation. We keep coming back to what's happening here now, right here. Um, to acknowledge what's there, just, just notice it. Oh, there's anger there, fear there, harm there, hurt there, uh, an urge to cruelty there, whatever's there, with all the stuff we're familiar with as humans. And then to incline the mind toward these four wholesome qualities or whichever one of them you know, is available. Maybe even with what's happening, there's some goodwill that can be there, of a general nature, of a specific nature, and incline the mind in the way that we learn to do, particularly in the meditation, toward those wholesome qualities, and just see, see, see what happens. Um, Kim, in a discussion on Tuesday, summed this up in a way that I think you can write down, possibly put on, it might even fit on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt, and Kim Allen said, and I've quote, I'm quoting it here with, as you can see, um, fulsome attribution. Um, she said, choose what's most wholesome in your mind and go with that. And that's a really lovely way to think about it. A lot of our practice in meditation on the cushion, off the cushion is meeting whatever's coming toward us and whatever's coming down the pike toward us in the present moment here and now to meet it with as clear and with as much wisdom in the mind as open a heart as we can manage at, the, at that time. That's all we can ask, really. And Kim's phrase sums it up so well. Choose what's most wholesome in daily life and go with that. And uh, if I had another, uh, if I wasn't doing this right now, I would chat that to the group. But, yeah, we'll, we'll, we can send it out. Choose what's most wholesome in your mind and go with that. In addition, notice when these heart states arise by themselves and go with that. Sometimes you'll just find that these things arise for you. And uh, I think, again, the implication of the sutta is that's a sign that there's been some letting go of greed, aversion, selfing, delusion. And you can just put that in the bank. You can know, oh, when this arises, there's some freedom happening. And you can, you can step right into that. You can embrace that. So, Stick around for the guided meditation because my intention, haven't thought it out at all, but this is what I'm going to do is try to go in the order of the Kalama Sutta 
And what's it like when we let go a little bit of some, some greed, some aversion, the selfing, when that freedom's there, then there's room in the heart for other people, for broader, um, broader expression of aspects of our humanity. And um, we can bring that right into the meditation practice. So with that, if you can stick around, do. And if you must leave for work, child care, other responsibilities, feel free to do that. Um, did I leave anything out, friends? Diana, Ying, Kim? Okay. Take care till Saturday, and we look forward to seeing you and probably some others who took the work week off and will be back and maybe without some of you who are at the retreat. But we look forward to seeing you and doing this again in the future. So more about that on Saturday too. Take care.